Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julianne Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time children's literacy wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, web designer and creative dance teacher who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens, fresh from the buzz of Kidlit Vic 2019 conference. And this is our 21st episode. Now, for anyone chiming in for the first time and you have no idea what on earth Kidlet Vic is, check out our mini-sode. Mm, yes, yes. What, a, what an amazing weekend. I think the adrenaline has finally worn off and the tiredness too. And, you, you, you know, if anyone's actually listened to our mini-sode, you know, we were sitting on the bed in our hotel in our pyjamas <laughs> doing that one. Yes. Almost, you know, no voice. But, um, yeah, it was fantastic. And um, today is pretty special too because we are going to announce the winner of our 2,000th listener draw. So yes. we'll announce it after the reviews. Yes. Speaking of reviews, Ooh. tell us, Pamela, what is the title of today's book? Ah, yes. Um, today I'm reviewing His Name Was Walter by Emily Rodder, published by Angus and Robertson Books, um, which is an imprint of HarperCollins Children's Books. I think it was last year. Was it last year or year before? I, sh- I didn't write that down. Anyway. Yes, I think it was last year. So would you share the jacket blurb with us? Yes. Once upon a time, in a dark city far away, there lived a boy called Walter, who had nothing but his name to call his own. That's a quote, by the way. The handwritten book with its strangely vivid illustrations has been hidden in the old house for a long, long time. Tonight, four kids and their teacher will find it. Tonight, at last, the haunting story of Walter and the mysterious tragic girl called Sparrow will be read right to the very end. From one of Australia's most renowned children's authors comes an extraordinary story within within a story, a mystery, a prophecy, a long-buried secret, and five people who will remember this night as long as they live. Oh, wow. That is nothing like I thought it would be. <laughs> no, no. The cover doesn't really give much away. The cover's amazing. But um, yes. yeah, it doesn't really give much away. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what genre would you class this as? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it's part crime mystery and I think it was classified that way on one of the websites I looked up um you know to buy it not to buy it but to see where you can buy it. uh it's part fairy tale it's part thriller yeah very hard to classify this one wow it's another genre bender yes that's it I should, we should have that as a, as a you know yeah. as a genre, genre bender <laughs> <laughs> and what is the estimated word count um, it's fairly long. I think it, it's pushing over 50,000 words, I'd say, probably even closer to 60,000, yeah. Yes, it, do, it does have a nice thick spine. <laughs> and what drew you to this book? Well, Emily Rodder, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love Del Toro Quest um, and my 
probably son loved it too. And even though this is quite a different book, um, I love her writing enough to just try whatever she writes. Um, yeah, the hardcover is just gorgeous. And it was shortlisted in both the CBCA Book of the Year Awards and the Aurealis Awards. So, yeah, it was calling my name. Oh, its, it's name was Pamela. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you find a book in a dark and stormy house, please don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell us about it. <clears throat> Yeah, so um, on a school excursion to study the history of an outback town, bus breaks down and a small group of students, along with their teacher, are forced to to shelter overnight in an abandoned house. When Colin finds a book hidden in a beautiful old desk, he is mesmerised by the beautiful pictures and is compelled to read it. One by one, his classmates are also drawn to read the book, even though there are some mysterious and creepy things going on in the house that they're in. The reader gets to read this mysterious book along with Colin and friends, which begins in fairy tale fashion, chronicling the story of an orphan boy named Walter as he grows up. The text of the book, it's, it's kind of hard to differentiate between the book that, you know, I'm reading and the book that within the book, but the book that, you know, the solid life, real life book skips back and forward between the present day and the fairy tale that Colin is reading. However, the further along it goes, the more obvious it is that there is a link between the book that Colin's reading and the house in which they're sheltering and they need to finish reading it or something terrible might happen. It becomes less and less fairy tale like and more urgent in its telling and it drops clues along the way that this might actually be an account of events that happen to real people in real life. And it also seems to convey a message for its reader as if it's been waiting for the right moment to be told. So yeah, quite quite a complicated plot, but um, well, not really. Once you're reading it, it's not, but it's complicated to explain. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Hmm. Well, overall enjoyment. <laughs> yeah, it's a very clever book. Um, I stayed up very late one night to finish it because I was just enjoying it so much. You know, Emily Rodder is, <coughs> excuse me, Emily is undoubtedly an amazing writer and the way she has woven these two stories together just makes it so compelling it starts off a little slowly, but, you know, it needs to set the scene, but it picks up speed quite quickly as it settles into the story. There are many layers, including hints along the way that younger readers might not pick up on, you know, to sort of predict where it's going. But um, <clears throat> it's not as light as you might think it is, given its fairy tale sort of uh, thing. There are some deep topics explored, such as War, embezzlement, disfigurement, ghosts, witchcraft. <laughs> oh, wow. There are themes including um, identity, trust, truth, love, perseverance and history. So it's quite deep. And one of the things I loved was the main character, each of the main characters is so different and so strongly written. The reader is given the opportunity to decide what each character believes about which parts of the fairy tale are real, which are fiction. You can kind of you know, predict how the characters will react and, and make your own decision about how you know, what you believe. Um, and, you know, and a message that occurred to me a few days after I read the book, because the book did stay with me, was uh, that you can try to suppress your, suppress your natural-born personality, but the more you do, the more obvious it will become. Um, and I know that creative types will agree with this one because, you know, as a creative, you can stop creating because you haven't got time or you think you're not good enough, but eventually your creativity will find a way to express itself 
whether you like it or not. You know, creativity is a need. And that was kind of one of the threads that I thought um, that Emily, you know, put in there and did so well. So, yes, I enjoyed it. (laughs) Sounds utterly fascinating. Yeah. So who will love this book? What age would you recommend it for? Okay, this is a really tough one. I have seen this book listed as a YA book. Um, I think it even shortlisted as a YA book in, in a competition. And I've also seen it listed for 8+. plus. Um, personally, I think it's quite complex and multi-layered for most 8-year-olds, given that I know a lot of 8-year-olds right now. Yes. Um, and where the, <laughs> where the fairy tale meets real life, it becomes dark and serious. So I would personally say ages 10 and up <clears throat> would probably get the most out of this book. You know, but what do I know? There, you know, there's a YA book in my kids' library that I recommended that they move to the secondary campus, and it wasn't. And now they're using it for the grade five to six book club. So, <laughs> I mean, and we've talked about before how every kid's different, but I think also that we should hold off a little bit on um, dark and complex books just to wait until they're ready for it and they can really understand it. I mean. You know, there were some clues in this book that I knew where it was going. I knew the time period it was talking about because of the hints. that, And kids wouldn't get that until they're quite a bit older, you know, unless they have studied, you know, World War One, World War Two, things like that. Um, yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter, I guess, if they don't get it, but it just gives them a much more thorough understanding of the book and um, appreciation of it. Um, so so I, I wouldn't read it to my eight-year-old, but, yeah. No, I can't imagine um, us doing that either. Um, so I guess are we saying this is firmly for more confident readers? I mean, judging by the word count and the the complexity. Yeah, yeah, definitely um, more confident readers. Um, you know, what I loved was that the, the, the book, the fairy tale book within the book was done in something I didn't mention actually. It was done in different font, but it was also done in a different voice. And, oh, wow. you know, wow. so you're, you're changing, you're swapping between two stories. You're swapping between present tense and, you know, present events and then this fairy tale book. And you're swapping between, you know, different fonts. And you're swapping, so it made it quite clear, but you're swapping voice as well, which I thought was you know, really clever. And if you're an author listening to this, go in and just read it and just think about the voice, the voice that she's used for the present tense, the, the, the teenage story of Colin and his classmates. And then the voice that she's used for the fairy tale and then how that voice changes over time because it does go from quite fairy tale-ish to much more sort of, you know, urgent and telling the story and, you know, less less fairy tale, more real world. So that was done really well. But I think, um, you know, if you've got a reluctant reader struggling to to read or, you know, to, to comprehend, then um, it makes it quite complex. Mm, okay. Wow. Well, that was one awesome book review for your 21st. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So, Julie, I'm not sure if it's the buzz from Kid Big or just the fact that we've now gone to a fortnightly table and you haven't – timetable and you haven't quite gotten used to it yet. But did I see in our in our sheet for today that you've got two reviews? Yes, I confess it's true. <laughs> I actually have two reviews for our listeners. And, and, of course, we usually schedule one book, but I received two wonderful books about the same time and I just couldn't choose which one to do first, so I decided to do them both. So, yeah, maybe I'm not quite getting the new schedule. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure our listeners won't object. Yes, we hope so. (laughs) So 
what's the title of the first book today? Um, our first book is The Little Wave by Pip Harry, published by University of Queensland Press on May 7. Oh, is that? Yeah, that wasn't that long ago, 2019. Yeah, it is a, it is a very recent book and it's had a bit of um, coverage, I think. So, <laughs> Yes, yeah. yep. So can you share the, the blurb with us, please? Yes. When a manly school sets out to bring a country class to the city for a beach visit, three very different kids find each other and themselves. Noah is, a, is fearless in the surf, so where does his courage go when his best mate pushes him around? Lottie loves collecting facts about bugs, but she doesn't know what to do about her dad filling their lonely house with junk. Jack wants to be a cricket star, but he f first he has to improve at school, especially if he wants to see the ocean for the first time. Mm, now this this sounds like it's contemporary. We don't really do a lot of contemporary, do we? No, we are not drawn to contemporary. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is is this upper middle grade or middle middle grade? Yeah, I would say it's middle middle grade. Um, contemporary middle grade written in verse. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. That's yes. Right. Yep. So what's what's the word count for a, a novel written in verse? Now, I, I am going to say this could be my most accurate word count yet because, I mean, because it's in verse, you can actually see the number of words per line. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to put this at about 28K. Okay, right. Just yeah. So, so what drew you to this verse novel? Well, we were offered this one by um, University of Queensland Press and after hearing the lowdown on it by the lovely Megan Daly over at Children's Books Daily, I thought it was um, one that I'd really love to get my hands on. And I also have to confess I have never read a novel written in verse. No, I haven't actually. And I love poetry. So but I, the, the idea of reading a whole novel in verse, I, I don't know. I just haven't gone, yay, I should do. Is it rhyming or not? No, not at all. No. Yeah. I can imagine that would be impossible to write a whole yeah. Okay. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah. So Noah and Lottie live in the city. They form an unlikely partnership when they have to organise a fundraiser so that the kids from the bush can come and visit for their first beach excursion. Noah's parents are loving and caring and his dad loves surfing almost as much as Noah. He can't complain about his home life, but at school, he doesn't seem to be able to stand up to the bully who calls himself Noah's best friend. Lottie is a bit of a loner. Her mum passed away and her dad has been filling up the hole in his heart with junk, all kinds of junk, anything he can fossick. So much junk that their yard looks like a tip. Jack is a kid from the bush. He tries real hard to be good at school but he's often hungry and caring for his young sister. His mum has a problem with drink, which makes it hard to pay the bills. Jack will do anything to visit the city, but things just don't go, seem to go to plan. He's always getting himself in trouble. In the time-old tradition, the kids are paired up as pen pals, and as we see each story unfold, we realise the trip to the beach will change each and everyone's lives forever. Mm, it, it sounds... Very contemporary, but is it is it present day or is it 
you know, 20 years ago. I this little bit confusing as to what um, era you would put it in. There, there is no sort of evidence of any technology. So, I mean, that could still be true because the kids were, I guess, around age eight. But um, mm. I think it was really a story told from a 70s point of view. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like some of the issues are quite current though still. Some of those yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so how did you enjoy this one? Oh, my gosh, this was a heartfelt story. Um, as I was reading it, I could have sworn I was actually reading about some of the kids that I went to primary school with. Mm. So um, oh, it just evokes such a sense of my childhood in the 70s. And telling it in verse with the alternating points of view with three very different children and three very different social situations was absolutely brilliant. Um, it just gave you a searing insight into the lives of these kids. And by the time we find ourselves at the beach, you will be absolutely invested in each one. It's definitely a coming-of-age book as we see friendships blossoming and a united hope in a better future for all of them. Mm. So um, you say this is middle grade. So who, who do you think would love this one? What age? I'd say 8 to 12 um, and anyone who loves contemporary fiction, which I've realised that the seven-year-old in the house is totally drawn to contemporary fiction. Okay. So I, I'm wondering if that's sort of age um, appropriate. Wow. <laughs> like as in, you know, they seem to love the funny books, which are contemporary, mm. and, and this is a not funny contemporary, but like I, I think she would lap this up. Like she would yeah. be so interested in the lives of these kids. So. Yeah. So, see, my, I mean, you know, my two boys, it's fantasy and humour. They just won't do anything else. <laughs> yeah. Humor. I think it would be a little bit of a hard sell for your boys. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. I think that's another reason why I don't really read much contemporary. I mean, you know, I like historical fiction, to be honest, myself. But, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't see us doing contemporary for a long time. Yeah. Oh, we have a lot of contemporary in our house. <laughs> Which is not my um, my genre of choice, but yes, alas, it can be. You know, a good contemporary it can be. Yeah, can stick with you for so long because it's yes feels more real, right? So grounded in reality, yeah. yeah and and um, you know, and I remember like you know books like Judy Bloom's one and Melina Marquetta's book, like as a te- like those stuck with me. You know, yeah. much more than any of the fantasy or you know and and um I remember we did one about the holocaust that just I mean that wasn't contemporary it was historical but um but yeah life and that they just stick stuck with me longer yeah yeah so is this I I sounds like it's for more confident readers given that it's in verse maybe well I I would have said that um not having read it yet (laughs) but I think um that reluctant readers would probably give this a go um and I think confident readers would like really enjoy this because I mean it's it's easy text to read and you can sort of get to the end of a page really simply but the depth of character development found in those few words on the page will I think that will really keep young readers turning pages okay wow sounds good yeah it, it was one of those that sort of 
stays with you, a bit like Meg McKinley's Catch a Falling Star, but sort of like for a slightly younger audience. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So... That was review number one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now I'm looking, I'm looking at the, the, our uh, planning sheet here and I have seen the cover for this next book that you're about to review and I think it looks fascinating. So, oh. yeah. So <laughs> you're reviewing for your second book. Yes. Um, I am reviewing Boot by Shane Hegarty, illustrated by Ben Mantle, published in May 2019 by Hachette UK. Hachette. <laughs> we did ask the editor on the weekend <laughs> and you can say it either way. So I'm going to say Hachette. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, the blurb. Hello, I'm Boot. I'm a robot. I woke up in a scrapyard with a cracked screen and only two and a half memories. I know I had an owner, Beth. And I'm certain she never meant to lose me. I have to find her. I just don't know how. Join Boot on a dangerous adventure to find where home is, what friends look like and why humans are so leaky and weird. <laughs> right. Now, this, <laughs> this is one I might be able to sell to my boys. Um, <clears throat> what's the yes. this one? I, I guess I'm going to say middle grade, middle grade science fiction. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was a little, I wasn't really sure where to put it in genre, actually. I, I'm just going to say it's all on its own, in its own fabulous land. How's that? Another genre vendor. <laughs> yes. Um, and what about the word count? How long is it? I'd say it's about 35K, so right in the Julie sweet spot. Yeah, okay. Not a very short one. Um, yep. You know, I yeah, like I said, I've seen the cover of this and I think it looks fabulous. What drew you to this book? Well, of course, the cover. <laughs> <laughs> it's glorious and Ben Mantle is an absolute genius. Um, I think I saw the cover on Twitter and was just like, oh, yes, pre-order. Um, and Ben Mantle does illustrations throughout, which are just exquisite would be the word I was just Giselle and I were just staring at them the pages going oh my goodness <laughs> it's been, I've been chatting to people and even my kids lately about is that there's not a lot once you get into middle grade there's not a lot of illustrated books yeah you know I think they need I know it's an expense but yeah I've got a six-year-old who is you know, he's a book fanatic. He loves them, but he will not let me read to him a book that doesn't have illustrations, even if it's one that I know he would love. But he just, he, you know, some kids are just really visual. They just need some pictures every few pages to look at. Yeah. And even if it's a stepping stone, you know, to completely, you know, text-based novels, I think there needs to be more illustrated novels. So yes. Yes. I know you're not exactly going to jump on whatever I say, but. <laughs> mm. Well, um, we are obviously of one mind in this. And um, when Pamela and I were at Kitlitvik, we did a session with a lovely publisher. And one of the questions we asked was, um, do middle grade novels have to be funny to be illustrated? Because we mm. really think there's a, a market for il illustrated middle grade that isn't funny. And I think from memory, the publisher agreed. <laughs> um, mm. So hopefully we'll see that, you know, coming down the ranks eventually. Yeah. Yeah, and it might be something that, you know, 
authors could think about as well, you know, maybe just, you know, it would be great yeah. if we could get an illustrator to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know it's another expense. It's, it's you know, there's not a lot of money in, in books. There's not a lot of, you know, room to yeah. play. Um, you know, if it gets more kids reading, then that's what we're here for, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so back to Boot. Um, <laughs> remember what it's called. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so Boot wakes up in a scrapyard with two and a half memories. He remembers his owner, Beth. He just doesn't know why he is no longer with her and actually why he even has memories at all. He's meant to be a robot doing the usual robot things, like serving their owners, but not for a second would they think they could actually love them. Boot escapes the jaws of the dreadful Flint's crushes, eventually finding his way to the city. But the city is dark and strange and dangerous, especially to unclaimed robots. Unclaimed robots who also seem to have knowledge of their situations. Boot is desperate, desperate to find Beth. Noak, an old-fashioned robot who needs to be charged, is desperate. I can't say the word desperate today. Desperate to find a charger. And guess what? One of Boot's memories has the exact one Noak needs. They will have to band together in order to get what they want, but neither are prepared for the adventure to secure it. This sounds like it's right up your alley, Julie. Oh, isn't it? <laughs> Did you read this one to yourself or did you read it to Miss Seven? We read it together. Um, I had to stop myself from reading ahead because, you know, she wanted to read it every night and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll just wait. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. So I have to confess I am a huge robot fan. My um, Frankie DuPont book, Number three actually has a robotics chip being stolen. Um, one of my favourite picture books is Boy Plus Bot, which is by Amy Dykeman and Dan Yaccarino. And I have watched Wally, Wally more times than an adult should actually admit to. <laughs> I love robots. So when I saw this, it was a no-brainer. Picture Wally mashed with short circuit and iRobot all rolled into one. Sure, Each of my favourite movies. Oh, yes. And iRobot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so each one of those stories really pulls on your heartstrings and Boot was no exception. It was absolutely scintillating. Watching little Boot strive to find his owner was both heartwarming and breaking at the same time. I pre-ordered this, as I said, um, and when it came, Giselle took hold of it right away. So I said, well, shall we read it? And, you know, of course, yes, please was the answer. And from the first chapter, we were hooked. Even reading it on a, on a couple of days when she was homesick. Now, I do hope it wasn't actually just to read Boot, but I would not put it past her. <laughs> <laughs> we were just swept up in the story from cover to cover and Ben Mantle's illustrations are nothing short of exquisite. I think we might have found one of our favourite reads for 2019. Oh, don't you love that? Just yes. Find that book that's just keep you know, oh, so good. So um, yep. this was great for Giselle. Mm. Is that sort of age group you'd recommend for? Yeah, right, right on the money there. I think um, eight plus, and I'd say probably confident readers as a read alone, um, but as a read aloud, are oh, just the best. Right. And uh, 
what, what, yeah, so reluctant readers more to be read to them as a read aloud? Yeah, look, it would be a little bit challenging, I think, for a reluctant reader. There's a lot of description and, I mean, there's there's a lot of emotion there mm. that um, I think they probably wouldn't quite understand just yet. Um, but, oh, yeah, it's it's more confident readers, I think. But And, like, Boots World is quite – I mean, it's pretty much dystopian. So, yeah, they, they'd have to really understand what that means. So, yeah, I'm going to put it as a, a confident read. Right. Well, there you go. Julie's one of her reads for 2019. And that's yes. The third review for this episode. Yes. Now, are you going to announce the winner, Pamela, or? No, I think you can do it. I'll do the oh, All right. <laughs> <laughs> so for our 2000th listener giveaway, drum roll, please. Red Lucy on Instagram. So we did combine all of the Insta, Facebook and Twitter sort of messages and we picked out Red Lucy. So we will be direct messaging you, Red Lucy, for your address and hope you will enjoy our wonderful book pack. Congratulations, Red Lucy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so we will be back in two weeks with our next episode, episode 22. Yep. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, folks. See you. Here we are at Middle Grade Mavens and a little recap for our listeners. We've recently reviewed The Little Wave by Pip Harry, which was published by University of Queensland Press on 7th of May 2019. Now, I personally find it fascinating to hear the story of how a book came to be. We thought it would be awesome to invite Pip into the middle grade Maven's hot seat for some authorly banter. And guess what? She agreed. So hi, Pip. And thanks hi, Julie. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm thrilled to join you. Yeah, we are um, very excited about your book. That's good. I'm so, excited too. <laughs> yes, as one should be. So tell us, Pip, where did you get your start in writing? Well, do you want to go way back? <laughs> Let's go as far back as you can remember. <laughs> so, of course, my mum has the, you know, the story she saved from primary school, but I won't go that far back. Um, I think I first wanted to be a writer for a job um, in late high school. And I went and I did a week of work experience at the Riverine Herald in Echuca, oh. which was a country paper. Actually, another writer is there, Fleur Ferris. Yes. In Echuca, and she does stuff with the Riv Herald as well. So yes. I went there for a week. I interviewed farmers. I did lots and lots of bits and pieces, and I just thought, yeah, I could really do this for a job. Uh, but it did take me another five years or so to actually get a paid writing job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it took some time, uh, and that job was on a magazine called NW, or at the time it was called New Weekly. Do you remember that? Yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> so it's uh, it's still around today. It's a gossip weekly, gossip and entertainment. And they flew me up from Melbourne to Sydney for the interview and they miraculously gave me the job with hardly any experience. Fantastic. Somehow <laughs> flunked my way onto that, <laughs> that magazine. And that started my writing career in magazines, which I did for another sort of 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, and I worked for Woman's Day. I worked for New Idea, TV Week, um, and had a really fantastic time. I did a lot of interviews with 
musicians and actors and um, it was just a blast. But at some point I knew that I did want to write for children and I did want to write fiction and novels. Yep. So I went back to uni and went to UTS in Sydney um, and did a writing course there. And that's where I sort of started my path to young adult writing. So I started I'll Tell You Mine around that time and that got me an agent and a, and a publisher eventually. It did take a couple of knockbacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've earned your stripes in other words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. I think so, I wrote my first piece for children, fiction piece, when I was about 22 and I didn't get published until I was 35. Yes. So that's yep. a long gap of, yep. yeah, of rejections and, yep. and you know, giving it another go. But I'm so glad that I did. Yes. I, um, I follow Kate DiCamillo and I think she said that um, she was about 10 years in and she met this supremely sort of um, famous author who said, how long have you been at it? And she said, oh, 10 years and... And um, the and Kate was you know you know as if oh you know this is ridiculous and the author's like yeah give it another five and <laughs> I'm like oh yeah okay <laughs> yeah. so publishing moves so slowly as well yeah. you have to be prepared to spend years you yes. know trying to publish yes that's okay you get used to it so where did you get the inspiration for the little wave. So The Little Wave, well, it's a bit of a departure for me because I wrote three young adult novels, realistic contemporary, um, before I wrote this this book. So this is for, you know, middle grade, eight to 12-year-olds, and it's also written in verse. So the, uh, the idea came from, so my home is on the northern beaches of Sydney, beautiful mm-hmm. area, gorgeous coastline. So I'd been down um, at the beach for a swim and I was literally just sitting on my towel afterwards and I saw this group of kids come running down to the beach from a bus. They were like yelling and laughing and playing in the sand and in the waves. And I was like, what's this all about? They were actually from um, a group called Royal Far West who offer um, camps to kids from remote (laughs) and rural areas. So I bumped into these guys and thought, oh, that would be a really good story to tell, you know, country kids coming to the beach, maybe seeing the beach for the first time, seeing that huge amount of water and the waves. So that got the, that was the germ of the idea. Um, And then I started writing pretty much. Wow. So I like to get to the nitty gritty. So how, Mm -hmm. how did it become a novel in verse? I mean, it's just... It's fascinating that you've written it in verse, but how did, did it start that way? Uh, yes, it did. So I'd never written verse before, but when I sat down to write The Little Wave, that's how the story came out. Yep. And I think it's because I was reading a lot of verse novels at that time. So I was a huge fan of uh, Sarah Crossan, who's an Irish verse mm-hmm. writer, uh, Stephen Herrick, who's a legend in Australia, Cat uh, Appel. I'd read all these fantastic verse novels for kids Um, and then when I sat down to write it just felt like this story should be told in that sort of really spare way you know with lots of sort of imagery and and things like that so that's how it came out and I was like oh my gosh I'm writing in verse (laughs) I'll just I'll just keep going I'll keep going it's it feels good it feels good so I got to about 20,000 words so I was pretty much I had a first draft and I thought, oh, I've got to send this to someone who knows, you know, what verse should look like. Yeah. So I'd met someone called Holly Thompson, a woman called Holly Thompson, so who is a verse, verse specialist. 
Right. And so I sent it to her and she was like, thumbs up. Um, and gave me some tips on how to shape it. Yeah. But um, but that gave me the confidence to then send it to UQP, my publisher, and say, this is what I've been working on. And then luckily they liked it. So we oh, went from there. Oh, wow. I, that is just, I mean, I've said the word fascinating, but I'm utterly <laughs> fascinated um, because the journey between, like when you already have a sort of a publishing relationship, the journey, you know, from something that's a little bit different is actually, you know, quite amazing because if you'd maybe sent that straight to them, they might have said no thanks. But, you mm. know, the fact that you actually ran it by someone who's considered, a, you know, an expert in verse probably did you a world of good. So It did. And I didn't want to send it to my usual readers. I, I send out to a couple of readers usually, and that includes my brother and some trusted writing friends. But I thought, this is so technical. I really need someone who understands, you know, the technical yeah. side of the poetry. Yep. Um, so yeah, I actually paid her for the assessment, um, even though I yep. had a couple of books out and I had a publisher yep. waiting, yep. I, I knew that I wanted a, like a really separate opinion, um, yep. well outside that publishing circle. Yeah. So I'm glad I did it. It was good. <laughs> Fantastic. So when you were writing it, did the three points of view come out as standalone stories and then you sort of wove them together or did you write them in the order that we read them? Uh, so what happened was I actually wrote the two boys first. So I wrote Jack and Noah's voices and they were kind of, um, sending letters to each other as they still do in the book. Um, yep. and they were living in the country in the beach and you got those two different perspectives. And I actually thought that's how the book would end up with the two yeah. yep. boys. Um, but then about maybe six months into the, the writing, Lottie appeared and her voice was so, so strong and I heard her so clearly and she had so many problems. Yes. <laughs> I've, got to, yep. I've got to fix them for her. I've got to help her. Yeah. Um, and I also thought that having a girl's voice in there would just be so lovely and would balance out those two boys really nicely. Yes. Um, so she she arrived and I let her in the door and uh, now there, are, there were three voices. So yep. that was quite tricky to, to balance all those voices because um, they were quite different. At one stage they I had them... On the page, the text actually looked different. So I had uh, yeah. Jack. Jack was writing in mostly up caps. I had Lottie writing in mostly lowercase. <laughs> I was trying to like make yeah. them look yep. different on the page. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But and actually, at one point, I talked to UQP about taking Lottie's story and making it a separate novel. Yep. Um, but in the end, I'm so glad I stuck with those three voices. Yeah, yeah, it really does work. It needed the third. <laughs> so. It did. Isn't that funny? It did need yeah. that girl to come in. And I think she adds so much with her little bug facts. And, yeah. Um, you know, she's so uh, so intelligent and sensitive. Uh, yeah, I really like her character. Yeah. So when we got to the editing stage, how much did you have to endure before <laughs> it was ready to go? I do like the word endure <laughs> oh it was a lot of editing so the book took about three years from first word to finished product yeah um and, and a full year of editing uh I thought it would be easier to edit this book because it was significantly shorter than my young adult books but it yep. was a lot harder in the end. Um, there was so much fiddling around with just word choice and where to put that full stop and, 
you know, where are we going to do the line break? Um, yeah. It was so fiddly. Yeah, I was really surprised. <laughs> um, and, in fact, so much harder to edit this book than any other one that I've written. Yeah. But I did have a, a great editor, a guy called Mark McLeod, who's very experienced and, and knows how to edit poetry as well. Yep. And so he took me through the copy edit and he was like, okay, you've got to trust the reader because I think I was uh, overtelling. Yeah, yeah. He was like, they're young, but they'll get it. So just trust them. Um, and he also was helping me find more poetry and, and understand it. So he, he was a great choice. Wow. We had fun together. Yeah. Do you think you'd do another book in verse then? <laughs> so, <laughs> Knowing the process. When I, when I was doing my, like, you know, I'd done 780 read-throughs or something like that, <laughs> I was thinking I'm never writing in verse again. This is too hard. <laughs> and the minute I went to the printer, I was like, oh, I could do that again. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, my, yeah. my next verse book. <laughs> uh, look, I am actually writing something in verse, but I'm giving myself the opportunity to unwrite it and to yeah. change it back to prose. I'm not sure yet if I want to go through the process again. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. So it is hard. How- so how do you manage the pressures of life and still find time to write? Yeah, life gets in the way of writing. Do you find that as well? Yes, it's very unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> so I, w- I work full time. I live in Singapore uh, and have a, a family and I go to work every day. So I wish I could tell you that I ride on the bus and I ride at my lunch break and things like that, but I'm not particularly disciplined. So what I like to do is go away to writing retreats. Yep which tends to help me just break through and write a lot of words. Yeah. Um, so what I'm doing this year is I, I've been lucky enough to be given a May Gibbs Fellowship. Oh, which, fantastic. Yeah, they're amazing. So they're, they're sending me off to Brisbane for three weeks um, mm. and giving me a, a nice room of my own <laughs> to <Yay>. finish <laughs> Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. I don't have to get the fellowship or anything. I, I just organise them myself. Yeah. Um, I go away to, you know, friends' farms or beach houses and just um, just lock myself away, sometimes with a friend, sometimes not. Yep. I have, I have a similar um, approach except the time that I took a friend, we just had a roaring good time and there were no <laughs> words written. <laughs> Yeah, that's that is a danger, right? If there's wine and a friend, yeah. so yeah, yeah. I tend to bring people who are a bit disciplined and can sit for eight hours and write, yeah, well and done. then have a good time. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have an agent? And I guess I should wait for the answer. But how crucial do you feel this is for your career in Australia? Yeah, I do have an agent. I've had a couple, actually, to be honest, at different stages of my career. And I've also been unagented. So I've kind of done lots of different approaches. Yep. Um, I got a new agent just before I submitted The Little Wave because I wanted to take a more global approach to my writing. Um, yep. I've had some success in Australia and found a readership, but I really would love to be published internationally. Yeah. So um, my agent is called Benithan Oldfield and he works with a co-agent called Thomas and Chinnery and they're at Zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, Thomason lives in Brussels. Uh, she's based there. So that just means I that opens up the international market for me because she's yes. there and she goes to all the European fairs. The fairs, and, yep. Yeah. Um, and Benithan is in Sydney. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think with those global connections it's important because I do want to achieve, um, pu- you know, being published in other territories. Yes, yep. Well, that's a fabulous answer. 
<laughs> also, I mean, if you know, if you are looking for an agent, they're good, they're really handy with paperwork and contracts, and yeah, you know, if you have yep. a problem at any stage of the publishing um, journey, which you know sometimes things happen, they can step in and kind of speak for you, and um, you know, just put a bit of distance between you and your publisher, which can be yep. handy. Yep. You know, if you don't like a cover or you don't like a certain thing they're asking you to do with the edit or something, you can just ring your agent and have a bit of a whinge and yeah. and they tend to, you know, <laughs> help you out. And they just have your back, you know, they're looking yeah. for your career. So Fantastic. I prefer to have an agent, but, you know, not everyone needs one, particularly yeah. not in Australia. Mm. Yes, yes. That That is generally the answer that I, I get when I ask that question. So Yeah, yeah. Now, do you personally read widely in the genre and age that you write for? Of course. <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> crucial. I can't believe anyone wouldn't. Um, yeah, there are it. people, yes, there yeah. are. <laughs> I know, I know. I just love middle grade. I love YA. So um, I have a Kindle up here in Singapore and I'm constantly downloading stuff um, and reading. Um, what am I reading lately? Yeah, I just read Toffee, which is a verse novel by Sarah Crossan. Nice. Which was Absolutely amazing about an older woman and a, and a teenage girl who form a connection. Yep. Um, I read Stone Girl by Eleni Hale, which I thought was just absolutely mm-hmm. stunning um, and very confronting. And I'm reading Sick Bay by Nova Wheatman at the moment, which is amazing. Yes, just and very come out. Funny. Yeah, yeah, it's just come out. So, yep. yeah, I, I'm just always looking to get my hands on good YA and middle grade. And, and it's good because in Australia we have so much of it. Yes, exactly. So, speaking of middle grade, what is mm-hmm. one middle grade book every child should have the opportunity of reading, apart from your own, of course? <laughs> <laughs> apart from that, of course. Uh, I thought, found this is a really tough question um, because only one. Yes. So if I had to choose only one, uh, sort of books that have been published in the last few years, um, a book called Everything I've Never Said by yes. Sam Wheeler. Yes. Is, I just think it's a really powerful book and it's about a subject that's not often tackled which is young people with disabilities and the family who love and support them yep um I found it amazing and I shared it with my nine-year-old um who read it twice yep uh and she was just blown away by it as well it's really beautifully written it's very realistic very authentic um don't know if you know about Sam, but her daughter has Rett syndrome. Yes, yes. Yep. Yeah, so it limits the verbal communication and movement. So she, it's, she's really writing from the heart. Um, I just found it amazing. I, I previously have worked in disability, so I just loved it. Yep. You are actually the second person to recommend that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? That, yes, the lovely <laughs> Megan Daly. Yep. So. Oh, she did. As, I think I'm on the same wavelength with Megan. Yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> cool so what a joy it has been to chat with you today pip so where can we find you online if our listeners are interested in checking out your books yeah i'm quite active online so i have a website it's just pipharry.com i'm also on facebook i think it's pipharry author and on twitter and instagram i'm my handle is at pipaz which is h-a-z so you can find me in all those places Fantastic. chatting and sharing my reading recommendations and just, um, yeah, getting out there. General awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Some days, some days, Julie. <laughs> well, we are delighted to have read your book and can recommend it. And thank you for joining us again, Pip, at Middle Grade Mavens. Thanks, Julie. I love what you guys are doing. Thanks for hanging in there now that Middle Grade Mavens has switched to a fortnightly timetable. Although both Pamela and Julie are still adjusting and can't seem to help themselves with the double reviews. Next up, Pamela reviews Hubert Horatio by Lauren Child. And just because she can, Pamela also reviews Noah and Blue's Zooniverse by Nova Wheatman, illustrated by Chris Kennett. And Julie reviews The Dragon in the Library by Louis Stowell, illustrated by David Ortu. If you'd like to know more about The Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, drop by julieangrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckerman.net. <laughs>